This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Athenian Trireme Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio. I am Rob Jan and our co-host Megan McHugh is even now wrapping up her tomb raiding, uh, her legitimate archaeological excavations to return soon to co-captain our vessel. In the meantime, we have another Megan in to talk today and that's Megan Wilson Anastasios, whose new paperback from Pan Australia is out now and it is called The Honourable Thief. That would be a trade paperback, I'm guessing. Now, Megan, or I should say (laughs) the other Megan, based here in Melbourne, author Dr Megan Wilson-Anastasios is a PhD in art history, an archaeologist. She's been an archaeologist in the Mediterranean and Middle East, uh, a lecturer at the Melbourne Uni, a fine art auctioneer and a movie and television researcher. And I must get this right. The Water Diviner was her first novel, which she co-wrote with her husband, Andrew, adapting the script, which was co-written by Andrew Knight, of the movie, The Water Diviner. So it was a, um, a movie tie-in novel, I guess you could call it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're one of the few people who actually get it right. It's, I, I can't tell you how often I've tried to change that on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I used to say that to students at, uh, at Melbourne Uni when I was lecturing. If you want an example of how unreliable Wikipedia can be, just look at The Water Diviner page where apparently the film was adapted from the book. <laughs> Other way around. Maybe, maybe, maybe Homer had the same thing with whatever the equivalent of Wikipedia was back in the day. I'm sure he was like, no, guys, it wasn't me. Yeah. It was an oral tradition. That came first. Yes, actually, actually, the Iliad was just like a flashback that was supposed to be in the Odyssey. It was very popular, so I had to write the whole thing afterwards. Exactly. I wanted to re- maintain the spirit of the original story before it got away from me. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, this is The, the Honourable Thief, uh, to your first solo novel. And um, my way into this was reading Matthew Bogdanoy's and William Patrick's mm. book about the looting of Iraq's antiquities. Uh, Brilliant after, book. Yeah, the fall of Baghdad and everything just went pear-shaped, which was kind of predictable. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of one of those, uh, you really had to warn them that that was going to happen? <laughs> yes. Instances. <laughs> Their nation-building, a little bit of that wouldn't have gone astray yeah. there. Uh, okay, so... Um, this book is about an archaeologist, a, a disreputable archaeologist, a bit of a dodgy one. So he's cast in the not quite um, Indiana Jones because at least Indy had a veneer of um, respectability. He did, but he's still round round tombs, ripping things apart. Like I don't know if you remember the the uh, moment in. It was the last crusade. I think it was the third one. Oh. We won't talk about the fourth one. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, that's been forgotten. <laughs> uh, no, it's the third one and he's un- in the catacombs under Venice. Yes. And he rips an arm off a... Off a Skeleton <laughs> and wraps, rips some fabric off, and wraps it around the end, dips it in the oil, and, and turns um, uses it as a lantern. Uh-huh. These things we don't we don't really advocate no. that sort of thing in archaeology. I mean, all of the anything that was um, sensitive to light for a start would just 
fade instantly before anyone had photographed it. Or catch, or catch it. fire. Catch How on about fire. <laughs> it, well, it didn't matter anyway. It ended up being submerged in, in, in a flood and also a bunch of rats. Yeah, exactly. And then and then it all exploded <laughs> after, so it was all finished anyway. Yeah. So yeah, you can forgive him for that. Yeah. He, he's not. He wasn't. Um, uh, an archaeologist to have a, a little whisk and a, uh, a trowel. <laughs> <laughs> no, he certainly wasn't. And that to an extent was why my hero, Benedict Hitchens, I was very keen. I'm always very interested in the the after hours activities of all these very masculine alpha male yeah. f- heroes who you think, all right, they're off there gallivanting around you know, saving the world, doing these extraordinary things. What happens on their downtime? You know, <laughs> when they're by themselves, there's little quiet moments. And so it my hero had been, and Benedict has, has been through an extraordinary amount of, of quite traumatic emotional stuff that you, you it's revealed as the book progresses, uh-huh. which makes his sometimes um, self-destructive behaviour slightly more, more <laughs> justifiable. You get, you get an understanding of why he's ended up where he has anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not advocating uh ripping off, um, stealing <laughs> antiquities by a long shot. In, in fact, uh, quite the opposite. The Matthew Bogdanos, the person you referred to before, I'm actually working on a project at the moment where we're looking at antiquities theft um, in a, a factual TV-based sense. Uh-huh. And his his uh, story is extraordinary. And he's now prosecuting, he's a district attorney, ADA in New York, oh. pros- prosecuting antiquities theft. So I'm certainly not a big fan of uh, people who run around the world stealing history basically uh, but I can see how easy that the little the little line you cross I can oh. see how easily that would be done and that's what my what Benedict does uh, the grant isn't quite enough no the grant is de- <laughs> and he's got people holding on to, onto the strings where there's something that he knows something exciting he's going to find something exciting and he's not being given permission so he cuts some corners and does some <laughs> less than fabulous things yes this is this is uh, this is this is thieving time, team. We've only got three seconds to do it. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, our roguish archaeologist has an adventure to go on. There's a lost tomb of a legendary hero, complete with mythically powerful artefacts. Uh, this is all set sort of um, straddling like uh, World War Two and then into the 1950s. Yeah. So. So there are Nazis and World War II Greek partisans and shades of Indiana Jones. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so what is he looking for? Well, I was going to... I sent this uh, uh, hasty email to the station today to get um, our, uh, our, our guy at the front desk, Z-Man Zorin, to print it off a copy of me because I thought... And I wrote on it, I'd like the author to read this out. And then I realised what I'd actually said here. I'd like the author to read that out. Well, I don't actually have the author here. <laughs> oh, so are we talking Homer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to have to put my specs on. That's all right. Um, it is, look... Even Indy has Iliad, to do that. Yeah, he, oh, he does, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, usually when he's lecturing, he doesn't really... See, that in itself is a bit of a casts a light on his uh, technique. If he needs glasses to when he's lecturing, surely he needs them when he's looking at artefacts. No, he's farsighted. Oh, I see. He never, he never <laughs> oh, looks at the detail. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, okay. This is what the, this is what the, uh, the character in, in the book, The Honourable Thief, is looking for. Yes. 
Thus for seventeen days alike, by night and day did we lament you, mortal men and immortal gods. And on the eighteenth we gave you to the fire, and many well-fatted sheep we slew around you, and sleek oxen. So thou wast burnt in the raiment of the gods, and in abundance of unguents and sweet honey, and many a can warriors moved in their armour about the pyre when thou wast burning. Both footmen and charioteers, and a great din arose. But when the flame of Hephaestus had made an end of thee, in the morning we gathered your white bones, Achilles in pure wine and salves. Your mother provided a golden amphora and said that it was the gift of Dionysus and the work of Hephaestus. In this lay your white bones, glorious Achilles, and mingled with them the bones of dead Patroclus, son of Menoetus, but apart from those of Antilochus, whom you honoured above all the rest of your friends after Patroclus's death. And over them, we, the divine army of Argive spearmen, heaped up a great and perfect tomb on a projecting headland by the broad Hellespont. Thus it could be seen from far by the sea, both by men that now are and that shall be born hereafter. So, thank you. Achille- My pleasure. Achilles' tomb. Yes, which apparently Alexander the Great visited. Yes. Yeah. And whether or not Alexander nicked his armour <laughs> is a point of disputation. Yes. And, and, and so it's all there, isn't it? X yeah. marks the spot. We're given the complete directions to find the tomb. <laughs> it's only a, only a discus shot from, uh, <laughs> from uh, Gallipoli, really. Literally, it is. Which, which actually, just to digress there a little bit, that's actually very interesting reading all of that, um, the Homeric allusions in the poets from the First World War who went to Gallipoli because yeah. they were all classics trained. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so. And they were, they were rammed up against the cliffs looking out over the wine dark sea. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to the tomb. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's it's a search not just for Achilles' tomb, but the artefacts therein. Actually, considering that um, <laughs> that little passage there, uh, they'd have to do a DNA test on the bones if they found it. <laughs> and we'll be very careful to t- not not to give away whether or not they find it, because you know, I mean, that's really the MacGuffin of the story. It is. It is. Yes, you you do need to get to the end before you find out what happens. That's the idea of books. Really. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, well, actually, in epic poems and that everybody knew what would happen at the end. So, you know, yes, so. that's true. If you were going to see a comedy, you knew what you were going to get. And if you were going to see a tragedy, hmm. someone was going to die. And hmm. generally the person the, the tragedy was named after. Well, this is the 21st century, so we all like no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, what's that in Greek, in ancient oh, Greek? Oh, God, that's really, you know, I wasn't very good at ancient Greek. Oh, that's that's useful. Yeah, I I really loved doing it, and I really loved studying it. But I'm not a natural linguist, unfortunately. Okay, we are here talking to Dr. Megan Wilson Anastasios, who is uh, the author of. The Honourable Thief, which is a Pan Macmillan paperback, and it's out now. And this is a, a story about an archaeologist looking for the tomb of Achilles. Now, the uh, they think the fact is it's just, it's not just the body there after it's the fabulous treasure, his his armour, or I should tell you, he's really his um his second set of armour because <laughs> in the yeah. Iliad, Patroclus uh, wears that into battle disguising himself as Achilles, like all of those Arthurian knights used to do. Uh, And, uh, of course, he gets beaten by Hector and uh, the armour is claimed by him. So Achilles doesn't have that armour. So he 
uh, petitions his mother, the sea nymph Thetis, to get some new armour. Well, actually, Thetis just arranges it all from Hephaestus, the uh, the equivalent of Vulcan, the, the, the Greek god of um, armour and weaponry and Yeah, proving it's not, uh, once again, it's not what you know, it's who, who you know. know. <laughs> if your mum's a, a goddess and she's she's gone in with the uh, the gods... Uh, Iron, um, iron monger, mm. you know, you're, you're set. The Tony Stark of the Greek world. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the the shield of Achilles is actually the the famous piece. Uh, it's it's if you ever see a recreation of it anywhere, just you know, Google it. Uh, you'll see that it's uh, got these wonderful reliefs on it, uh, explaining metaphors for civilization, mm. for Achilles' story, and all that sort of stuff. An amazing piece of, of art to have. Um, Captain America would not be. Um, <laughs> unhappy with this acquisition I think it I think it probably um, puts Captain America's shield to shame actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, but of course the, the most important part of um, Achilles armor always gets left behind that left boot <laughs> yes the, and and I yes did always I remember when I, I read the Iliad when I was very young and it did absolutely mystify, mystify me how someone could be killed by having been shot in the Achilles tendon. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, I realised it's probably poison, so that kind of made more sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a... And, the, I mean, the thing I think I enjoy most about the Iliad or the aspect, it's what drew me to archaeology in the first place, and that is finding clues of our universal humanity. Hmm. And when you read the Iliad, you're not reading a story of a great hero who's off doing wonderful things. Achilles is basically having a tantrum yes. for most of the Iliad uh, and he's being wooed and people are begging, please come back and fight because he, because he had his prize, in inverted commas, being a slave that he'd been given and, and Agamemnon took the slave away from him and, uh -huh. and then he had a hissy fit, <laughs> decided he wasn't going to take his, bat, his ball, bat and ball and go home. Uh, and that's basically what... A fair whack of the Iliad's about, and that you've got this hero. I mean, the, to me, almost the most heroic character of the story is Hector, uh, the Trojan prince. Oh, Eric Banner played him so well. Oh, you know, <laughs> that film it had its moments. It, it does have its moments. <laughs> it does. It does. Did you weep when uh, Peter O'Toole? Um, petitions for the return of his son's body. Absolutely. Oh. No, it's, look, hey, I walked down the aisle and married my husband to the theme song of Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> so I'm a big Peter O'Toole fan. <laughs> Actually, it was more the Lawrence of Arabia than Peter O'Toole. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, okay, leaving that, that, that all-important boot to one side, as Achilles must have done on the battlefield. <laughs> yes. Silly fool. I know. Uh, well, actually, you know, you're right. Um, Achilles reminds me of um, so many other flaws. And that's the point, isn't it? The yeah. flawed hero, yes. just like your archaeologist yes. who's got his yeah. flaws too. And, yeah, I w and I'm interested in the complexity of human beings because there are the odd extraordinary creatures who are grace us with their presence who are absolutely perfect. Every now and then we see them <laughs> through, through the millennia. There, there's a couple that pop up here and there. But most of us are fundamentally flawed. We're, you know, balance, hopefully most of us, we're, the, <laughs> the good out balances the, the flawed. But uh, I, that's what I kind of, was kind of interested in investigating with this, with this guy. He had everything and he managed to um, hamstring himself. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, Achilles tended himself. <laughs> Very good. Oh, this is me, right? 
Ah, yes. Oh, right. <clears throat> right, voice over time. Avast there, mateys. This is Captain John English, and you'll be listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Pirate Radio, har har. Beware of cheap pirate copies. Okay, we are talking to Megan Wilson. Anastasios, I admitted the doctor there. I'm so sorry. No, don't worry. I, <laughs> the reason it's not on the book is that I really don't use it very much oh, unless okay. I'm doing academic stuff. Okay. So no offence taken. The Honourable Thief is the name of the book and it's book one in a, in a trilogy or just yes. two at the... Two? Yeah, trilogy? trilogy. trilogy mm-hmm. um, I've got... I've actually just planted the uh, manuscript for book two in Pan Millen's hands and they're very happy with that and it's, it's pretty... I'm pretty excited about it. I take... Uh, Benedict, uh, it's oh, for one thing. I take the female character that you meet, which I won't talk about too much because uh-huh. otherwise it's a bit of a spoiler alert. Sure, uh, she really takes prominence in the second book. Okay, uh, and you learn a lot, a lot about her backstory. And they get him, get caught up in the Sinai uh, Suez Crisis. Okay, the invasion of Sinai. So uh, that's I actually love. I love delving into the politics, prevailing politics, uh, as well as the history. So, Well, this is interesting because, I mean, not only have we established that your, your uh, um, anti-hero, Benedict Hitchens, the rogue archaeologist, uh, or the roguish archaeologist, I should say, uh, he's very much Achilles-like. He's searching for Achilles' tomb in the book. He's very much like Achilles. He's flawed, quite flawed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... You've got a lot of politics involved in the uh, in the book because um, it's Cold War politics mm. for, for the most part, the World War Two stuff flowing through into after the war, uh, and in a way, this is like the Trojan Wars. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of spin off from these things. There is, and you know the the it, it well in the second book it's even more obviously because clearly the, this is a period where you've got the the death of these uh, powers being. England and Britain and, and France predominantly, oh. and they they're losing their control over their their empires. And you've got the rise of Russia and America. So it's the it's the sort of the cauldron from which a lot of the stuff we're dealing with today oh. began in this period. And so, to, to in my mind, Benedict sort of represents the old world. He's He's in a sense a bit of a dinosaur, and he's struggling to find his place in this new world. Oh. Uh, the female character that you meet, uh, who's sort of she's a Elris. Yeah, you don't you don't get a huge amount of her in this book, but she's a, she represents the future in a way, uh, and both in the fact that she's a woman trying to find a way to make a living in what's basically a man's world, uh-huh. uh, and. And Benedict is struggling to find his place. So for me, there's a there's it's a metaphor between uh, about the society and the politics and what was going on in the world at the at the time. Uh-huh. So that you know, and that's what history is. I mean, if we if we paid a little more attention to the lessons of history, we would be a lot happier, <laughs> <laughs> a lot better off. But no one ever does. We just we're on this, stuck on this hamster wheel, going around and around, making yeah. the same mistakes mistakes again and again. I I, I often look at the. Um at World War One and World War Two, and actually think they're misnumbered. They really should have started out with um, the Napoleonic Wars. Absolutely. The First World War. Oh, yes. And then you look at the whole yeah. bracket and you see that everything is all tied in and it's all um, munged together and basically the 
one is the cause and effect of the next and so on and yeah. it's all unfinished business. And if you, But you can go back, 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 back. If you, oh, if sure. you, you know, go back so far. I mean, uh, I've actually just uh, – a series I co-wrote at the, uh, for Sam Neill at the moment called – it's the, the most awkward name for a series of all time, but The Pacific in the Wake of Captain Cook with Sam Neill uh, and it's currently screening on uh, Foxtel. And I wrote a book to accompany that series as well as co-wrote the series. And that has been a really fascinating exercise because we are looking at uh, Cook's arrival in the Pacific and his three voyages from both sides of the beach is sort of the the catch cry. Uh So we're looking at the... Uh, it's not just the impact on the Indigenous people who were here, but we're speaking to Indigenous people today and asking them, how do you feel about Captain Cook and, and what happened here? And so it's a really... To, to see the way you... And, and a revelation for me was actually realising... And it's going to sound stupid because how could I have not thought of it before? Uh, but how heavily I've been... Uh, immersed in a purely Western Eurocentric view of the world. It's so self-evident to yeah. even have to say that. But it really, and I kind of knew it, but I really got it in my solar plexus while I was doing this show because to understand the, the complexity and breadth of the Polynesian culture and their exploration and crisscrossing of the Pacific and I mean, it was basically a continent. It was a water-based continent for them. They were crisscrossing from one island to the other, trading. And I really didn't fathom how complex that world was. Uh-huh. And I thought this was all going on while the U- Europeans were basically pulling themselves out of the mud and trying to survive the Black Death. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was quite, quite a revelation to me. It's easier to grasp that if you're a New Zealander. Yes, I'm sure. Because there's a, you know, they've they've still got a um, a large number of artifacts basically that you yeah. can look at, and and it, and it makes it easier to sort of uh, get your head around. Well, and they also Maori uh, language and Maori sure. culture is very very much a part of huh. everyday society. You uh-huh. have um, a lot of Maori words that our New Zealanders use. In a daily, you know, in their daily language and daily conversation. So there's a very, it, yes, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's much more. Um, but it, it, this happens all the time. Um, you know, I mean, if we, you know, if we study uh, Chinese history, it's completely yeah. this massive, huge, vast body of of culture and literature, and <laughs> just going back so many thousands of years and. Unless you happen to be interested in uh, waxia kung fu yes. movies or something like that, <laughs> yeah, uh, you just we just don't have any conception of, of that entire fast body, yeah. And so there's so many of those around the Everywhere. world that the West just sort of goes, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. you sort of, and then it's only when you look in depth uh, at, a, at a culture that you know no, nothing or very little about that huh. you realise just how much you've been missing out on. I mean, I know so much about um, European, Mediterranean, Western history, archaeology. Uh, and, and then I know about where they ventured out into other areas. Sure. So Alexander the Great's ventures down into Central Asia and, and India. Yes, I know about that. Do, do I, I, know, I know about the Indus Valley culture. But in terms yeah. of... Yeah. But as a historical sort of standalone thing, not the whole progression of history that's gone on in that area... Yeah, so it's fa- it's, it was fascinating. I loved... That was a wonderful experience working on that for that reason. And, you know, I, 
that's what I that's the way I like approaching my research approaching my writing it's a it's a learning process for me I love it it's it's an adventure it must have been very handy for you to have traveled in the Mediterranean and the Middle East when you're um, a researcher on the water diviner film yeah you know? oh yeah well and I worked as an archaeologist in in Turkey in particular uh, over eight seasons so I'd been in the far east of the country and this was it was still back in the day when no Facebook updates <laughs> you know if you want to keep in touch it was we just had faxes wow how exciting <laughs> that was about as complex as it got otherwise it was little aerograms you know it was a time when oh, aerograms. I know and when you actually went but you'd gone on a plane to go overseas you hadn't checked out the jolly Trivago site to pick your best thing you hadn't looked at a million and one YouTube clips to mm. see where you were going you hadn't actually been able adventure. to walk down the street exactly yes Google Street View exactly <laughs> yeah. which is fabulous asset as a writer because you can actually go oh, hell yeah. as a reminder oh hold on I, you know I've been there, but hold on, what does... Oh, okay, that's... Yeah, that's what it's like. But, you know, when you think you flew, you got on a plane, you didn't communicate with anyone at home, yep. you went away, you you were on... A, you had an adventure. Yeah. And I sort of pine for those... I mean, I wasn't travelling in the 50s, but this is why I set my book in the 50s. Ah. It just... It's in, excites me, the thought of actually being able to really escape like that. Well, uh, and a question occurred to me that I that should have been obvious and I should have written it down to start with in my notes as an archaeologist, what's the most exciting thing you found? Look, the everyone always thinks it's going to be gold yeah, or, yeah. you know, some, some spectacular treasure. Um, the thing that always has always moved me most about archaeology is actually getting in touch with human beings. Uh-huh. And the thing that... Some some things are very some things are very basic. A fingerprint in a piece of pottery mm. that you know has been buried for four thousand years, mm-hmm. and there's a fingerprint, and so that's someone someone did that, or a, a sandal on a on a floor. Mm. I found an Iron Age sandal on the floor. So like someone had run off and just dropped his sandal, you know, running out. And a a like cat paw print in a roof tile. <laughs> yes, something like those kind of things. Yeah. And but there was a, a burial. Um, of a young girl that I excavated in this at this site just out of a city called Erzurum in um, eastern Turkey and it was a Bronze Age burial and she was, the girl's probably about 12, 13, which is the age of my daughter now and she had, there was a little coil of metal about half a foot away from her body which would have been on the end of a plait but her hair had obviously long since gone Uh, and she was curled up on her side on a bed of flat stones and there would have been um, probably straw laid down underneath her and a beautiful pot at her feet she'd been buried with so much care and so much love you could feel the heart heartache and love of the people who'd buried her Uh and that's the thing that I remember most because you, it's just that the message all the time when you're excavating is we're all the same. We, yeah. you know, people, we haven't changed. Sure, they were tr- trudging around on horses, dragging stuff. They were, you know, they were nomadic people at this time. But they were like us. They mm. felt the same things. They thought the same things. We're, we're all the same. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that actually I find most exciting. Okay, we don't generally bury corpses that we suspect of being vampires with <laughs> bricks in their mouths. <laughs> but generally. Good point. <laughs> and, and that's what's wrong with today's world. <laughs> yeah. See, that's it. We're just letting these vampires wander around. Look at Canberra these days, for goodness sake. <laughs> we need to do something about that. Well, 
as spectacular as that find sounds, it's pretty good that you didn't have the services of, uh, and I'll probably mess the, the pronunciation of this up, uh, Ilhan? No, that's actually okay. absolutely spot on. Who's, who's a, a dealer in antiquities and <laughs> false antiquities yeah. around. Yeah. But he's actually quite a charmer. He is a charmer and that's the point. This is a lot of a lot of the people, I mean, having worked in art auctions, I ran an art auction house for a bit, Uh very, very charming, funny, intelligent, fun group of people, uh-huh. and there's an there's still a fair number amongst them who will quite happily <laughs> push um, push things a fair bit. <laughs> I thought the setting uh, for his his operation, <laughs> uh, Istanbul. I yeah. thought that was amazing. You've you've really given brought that to life, the Thank city. You. Uh, and there's a there's an interesting. Um, Counterfactual. I was thinking about that before. Uh, what would have happened if um, Constantinople had not fallen? Yeah. Yes. Very so good point. The Byzantine Empire might have staggered on for another couple of hundred years or so. It might well have, because it was, of course, the breakdown of the the uh, Ottomans and their control of the Middle mm. East that allowed the French and the British, and later the Russians and the Americans to get into the area. Because the yeah the collapse of the Ottoman Empire caused. That, as you, you were talking about, all the links back to yeah. things that are messy now, the, that was a very major turning point. point well, that the one. sick man of Europe, as yes. they used to call it. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, we go off into side tangents <laughs> here forever. Um, I, I like your character in the in the book, uh, the Honourable Thief, the Forger, Raphael Donizetti, <laughs> <laughs> the very sweary Italian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's a master forger, and 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 the the. The irony there is that he's a great artist. Yes, and that is also also often the case. And with for- forgers, are, they've got a fascinating uh, psychology. I've, I've studied, uh, there's quite a lot of books that have been written by forgers. Uh-huh. Uh, and I actually used to teach a little bit on forgery, fakes and forgeries at Melbourne University. And it really is a fascinating psychology because for them it's as much about getting one over and being the smartest person in the room. They, they, it's, I mean, yes, I'm sure the money's nice as well, but often they're not the ones getting the huge money. The forgers are often, for them, it's actually the achievement of, of Managed, managing to fool people. Yeah, getting one over. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there's, I mean, <laughs> there's a, I had, you know, my, the most, hilariously memorable I used to get people bringing dodgy things in to me all the time when I was valuing art and someone brought a painting in once at its its, at most it would have been worth about $800 so it wasn't really valuable uh, even if it had been real and he, he showed me this painting and I said take that out I'm not putting it in the sale and he said why not I said it's a forgery and he said how do you know so okay there's number one you, you, how do you know and I said I'm not going to make your job any easier for you he stormed off he was very pleased <laughs> he'd misspelt the artist's name <laughs> when he did the signature or someone had I don't know if he did it himself but yeah so uh, there, there are a lot of fakes and forgeries a lot of people out there playing the system oh. <laughs> well he, he plays it quite well and, and I just sounding quite a charming fellow <laughs> I, I noticed that there's another character Character in there, not necessarily a major character that you couldn't resist naming Hector. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Look, it's, that's my little personal tribute to the yeah. character to to Homer's Hector, who I I loved. And um, naming characters are always it's always a very funny thing because, you know, it's impossible to resist 
naming them after people you know. And so I, my husband's name's Andrew. Uh, we've got a lot of friends called Andrew. So I actually ended up with about four Andrews in the book. And the <laughs> editor said, I think you've got too many Andrews. I said, I think you're right. <laughs> so we what, had to change What's some. a collective noun for a... <laughs> a uh, uh, it probably depends which Andrew you're talking about. Uh, I mean, a, a gaggle. Uh, uh, a handy of Andrews. A ha- handy of Andrews. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's very good. I'll use that one. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. And we're here back talking with Megan Wilson Anastasios from The Honourable Thief. Well, she's not from The Honourable <laughs> Thief. That's from her. She's <laughs> written that book. It's a solo book about the... Uh, well, actually, it's not a solo book. It's her first solo book about the search for Achilles' tomb by the kind of uh, dodgy archaeologist Benedict Hitchens. Yes, well, you know... He 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 started when he was young. He was he was an enthusiastic young, uh, you know, idealist, and huh. you know, life life got got in his way a bit, and and put, it drove him off the tracks a little bit. Just a little. But he does he does redeem himself, and and the second and third books, you know, further further steps on the, uh, towards that uh, ultimate goal of of becoming a decent human being again. Now, now Megan, you have a an extensive blog. Uh, which is at um, meganwilsonanastasios.com, which is yeah. quite easy to work out once you... <laughs> it's spelling it, though, is a bit of a nightmare. No, you just Google it and then you just no, put true. .com at the end of it. True. Very good point. <laughs> and I also noticed that uh, you number amongst your um, literary inspirations Colin McCulloch's um, Rome series, of course, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't we all? Actually, that's how I came to Greek uh, studies and stuff from the Roman angle because, you know, what yeah. great pillagers they were. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, but what about some, some of the other writers like Rosemary Sutcliffe or Mary Reynolds? Look, I, I, have, an abs- I have a very Catholic taste in, in reading. Uh-huh. I, I love... Every, in fact, when they called on me to, to nominate my four... Uh, the four books that changed me. I came up with a list that would have, you know, f- gone out the door of this studio because there are so many books that have had, had an impact on me o- over the years. Uh-huh. Uh, and Colleen McCulloch obviously is a is a very high on the list because she's, you know, it's it's entertaining. It's great to read. It's exciting. It's compelling. Very well researched and. You know, if you could say, who would I, you know, who would I aspire to be in terms of, a, in a literary sense, if I could, you know, end up, if I could end up doing even, you know, a tenth of what Colin McCulloch's <laughs> done, I'd be very happy with myself. Because I think uh, history, as I said earlier, I, we can learn so much from it. And so by all these authors who are drawing on history to write uh, compelling narratives and stories which are accessible and entertaining but also um, grounded in history. I think, you know, all power to all of them. Oh. I mean, I just, I just think it's a really Im- important, except I don't like the word important because it's meant to be, it's meant to be fun. Reading, reading my book is meant to be, it's meant to be a fun read. It's it not, is that. Yeah, oh, thank <laughs> you. It's not, it's not meant to be laborious and, and hard work. It's actually, it's, it's a fun read. So that's, I think, what I'm aiming to do. And if it makes people think a little bit about a couple of things along the way, then that's even better. 
This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. <laughs> yeah, he does indeed. And here we are back with Megan Wilson Anastasios, the Honourable... Th- Am I pronouncing that right? You are. Look, it's... My husband's family came out to Australia in the 30s, so it's... In Greece, it'd probably be... Well, actually, it was Anastasiou OU, and they decided to make it easier for Australians to pronounce that they were advised they should change their name. So they added an S, so I'm not quite sure how that makes it easier. Um, so Anastasius, Anastasios, and we take anything. <laughs> it's like my, <laughs> my grandfather came over from China. <laughs> this is like, uh, what's your name? Ah, John. Oh, John. <laughs> John. John there John you go. <laughs> Fabulous. Pick a name. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, that's about it for Zero G for today. Uh, Thank you to the other Megan for coming (laughs) in. And um, this book, The Honourable Thief, it's available now from Pan Macmillan. There is a sequel coming out when? Uh, Same-ish time next year. Okay. Yeah. Called The Emerald Tablet. That's correct. Uh, Title for the third one yet? Still under wraps. Um, Look, no, not under wraps. Playing with a number of them at the moment. So, yeah, I don't want to put anything out there because it'll probably change. I won't hector you. (laughs) No, don't hector me. (laughs) We know what happened to Hector, poor thing. (laughs) Okay. Now, um, today's episode number, and I forgot to tell you the title today, uh, people, uh, today's episode number is one. Two zero zero, so one thousand two hundred. Yay, we got to that. <laughs> and I was going to call today's t- uh, show Rojan's Horse, and I am because we've been talking a lot today. And the podcast title is Never Look to- Never Look a Gift Zero GG in the Pod. So we'll go with that <laughs> for today. And thank you for Dylan also, who's been helping out um, uh, with uh, podcast material for us. And also would like to thank today our talk host, uh, our talks host at Triple R, sorry, our producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and also um, Amy Milne from uh, Pan Australia. And Megan, of course, as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very on. much. It's been delightful oh, way to spend the afternoon. Yes. I, I, I think of it as well invested. <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful. Thank so, you. Thanks a lot for coming in today, Megan. It's been a delight. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.